So getting your heart rate up in a safe and controlled environment, like an exercise class or an exercise program is a great way to train your baby for labor and delivery. So mimicking that labor and delivery journey of like spiking your heart rate and then bringing it back down with control and then spiking it again and bringing it back down with control is so good for both you and your baby. the Fit and Healthy Denver podcast, where we discuss all things revolving around health, fitness, and wellness in the amazing state of Colorado, so you can get behind-the-scenes information from industry insiders, special events, and more. Coming up is our host, physical therapist and strength coach, Dr. Jamie Beauvais, and here we go. If you're a lady who's ever been pregnant, thinking about being pregnant or has had kids, this is the episode for you. I learned a ton in this episode and you will as well. We talk with uh, Carrie and Courtney about the benefits of exercise with pregnant, what exercises you can and can't do during pregnancy, the benefits of the diaphragm and the pelvic floor uh, during exercise when you're pregnant, uh, why crunches are a bad idea when you're pregnant, things you need to know. Uh, the myths and things you need to know about Kegels and uh, what you're doing that may be causing bladder leakage and how to fix it and uh, when it's too late to work on healing after pregnancy. Stay tuned to the end. You're going to love every bit of this one. Welcome, everybody. We have a two special guests today. Um, this is our first episode where we've had two guests, but I thought it was really important. And this is a interesting podcast because I will probably be doing very little of the top talking because this is not a topic that I am an expert at. Uh, So we have brought two experts in on all things pregnancy, fitness, um, pain, injury, and everything that a woman who is pregnant or wants to get pregnant would want to know, and as well as postpartum especially. We're going to talk a lot about fitness. So today our guests are Carrie Audi. Carrie is the owner of Pearl Street Fitness. She is a postpartum corrective exercise specialist. She is an instructor at the Bar Standard. She is a pre and postnatal. Oh, I'm messing this one up. Carrie, help me out. Trainer. Trainer. And also a mother of three. And one other thing that I will say about Carrie, and I know a lot of women um, who go out there and they see these women who have these giant bellies, and then about four months later, they have these six-pack abs get really angry. And Carrie's one of those people you can get angry at because she has done, you know, if you follow her on Instagram, you kind of have seen her progression. And Carrie, that was amazing, like everything that you did and how fast you got your body back, you know, just six-pack and everything else. Very impressive. Um so, I will. I, I think she. I think she kept her six pack even while she was pregnant. <laughs> I don't think she absolutely. ever got rid of it. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> um, so we will talk about how you do that, um, not only for yourself but for your clients as well, because uh, I know a lot of people will want to know that. Also, as a guest today, we have Dr. Courtney Giesman. Courtney is the director of the Women's Health Division of Kinetic Chain Denver Physical Therapy and in the Women's Health and Pelvic Floor Rehab. Uh, welcome, Courtney. Thank you. All right. Good job, Jamie. Oh, thank you. I had a lot to memorize there. I got most of it. I got yeah. most of it. <laughs> All right. Um, so let's start off with misconceptions, myths, and... What are some 
misconceptions about pregnancy and fitness that you'd like to address? Yeah, I love this topic. Um, I think there's this like feeling of like fragility around a pregnant woman sometimes um, when really it's like the strongest that you'll be in your adult female life. You think about you're growing not just a baby, you're growing another organ. So your body's doing so much on its own and supporting that with fitness and health is, you know, paramount to having a great journey. So some of the myths that are somewhat outdated and can still be given as like advice from, you know, people that have been pregnant in the past, even doctors will say like, you can only get your heart rate up to a certain threshold while you're pregnant. And um, the best part about our bodies is that our bodies keep us safe. You know, like you're going to pass out before something happens while you're working out. And the same thing's true while you're pregnant. Like you'll pass out before anything happens to your baby. So getting your heart rate up is actually excellent training for labor and delivery because your heart rate spikes naturally with your contractions and your baby needs to get used to that kind of stress. So getting your heart rate up in a safe and controlled environment, like an exercise class or an exercise program is a great way to train your baby for labor and delivery. So mimicking that labor and delivery journey of like spiking your heart rate and then bringing it back down with control and then spiking it again and bringing it back down with control um, is so good for both you and your baby. Um, what are, what are some of the benefits of exercise throughout pregnancy? I have to imagine there's several for the mother and there's probably several for the baby as well. Yeah, there are, I mean, the list is endless. Um, a good rule of thumb is like whatever you were doing prior to get getting pregnant, you can continue to do. So if you were a cyclist or you love spin class, like go for it as long as you can maintain proper posture um, and regulate the pressure within your core. We can get to that later. Um, but if you know, if you enjoyed hit classes, running, like you can continue to do that as long as you feel good doing it. Um, and then the benefits are, you know, you can minimize the risk of gestational diabetes and um, your blood capacity expands greatly while you're pregnant. So taking advantage of that cardiovascular expansion is a great way to train yourself to have more endurance Hmm. after pregnancy and beyond. So getting that fitness level up a little higher while you're pregnant is totally possible, which is, you know, kind of exciting. Um, And then other benefits are, you know, like your baby will have a great environment to grow in and thrive in. So you can minimize having like an overly large baby, an underweight baby. So you'll have like, you know, nice fit, healthy environment for your baby to grow in. Um, and then benefits for mom are like, you'll have more energy. You'll maintain that muscular strength that you need to recover postpartum, carry a baby around. Like we forget that you're carrying around this weight that just continues to grow. So you're constantly in progressive overload, carrying this baby that continues to grow. So staying strong is awesome. Yeah, I think think piggybacking off of Carrie too, um, and and this is kind of another myth, is that I think a lot of people, you know, just assume, okay, you know, after I have baby, I'm going to have to give up everything that I was doing. Like if I was mountain biking before, or if I was taking hit classes before or doing yoga, that that's all over. And, and I can't return to my favorite activity or sport or whatever it is. And, and of course, you know, you want to always talk to your doctor. You definitely don't want to go 
out of the gate right away. And you want to make sure that you're cleared and everything like that. But as far as getting back to the activities that you know, and you love, and you were doing before, or even doing throughout your pregnancy is a hundred percent doable. And I think some people just assume they, they, they don't even give it a chance and they just assume, Oh, if I was doing this activity, I know that I'm never going to be able to return to it again. And I think that that's right. definitely a big myth. Yeah. I mean, the hardest part about that is finding the time, but other than that, like <laughs> yeah. it's definitely doable for sure. <laughs> you are do there, it well. Katie. <laughs> are there, are there any exercises that women should avoid during pregnancy? A hundred percent. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. So the biggest um, thing that you want to have control over is the pressure within your core. So if you go back to just basic core function, your diaphragm and your pelvic floor need to work together um, and your belly is already expanding outward. So maintaining that pressure in a safe way to mitigate the amount of pressure that comes outward along that connective tissue between your abs is super important. So any exercise that does not allow you to regulate that pressure is one that you should avoid. And this goes back to another pregnancy myth. Like some movements are fine for some women and some movements are not fine for some women. So like if I use myself as an example, I was able to do a full plank pretty much right up until I delivered because I was able to maintain that core connection. But some women have to stop doing full plank at 20 weeks. And then another myth is like, oh, pregnant women cannot be on their back. And that's a very day-to-day situation. It's not like a mark at, oh, once you hit 100 days pregnant, you can't be on your back anymore. Um, And the reason that they say not to is because baby can press down on the vein, vena cava, which um, can like make your heart rate slow down, which would affect baby's heart rate too. So that's really just dependent on baby's positioning that day and things like that and where baby's laying within your belly. So you might be fine on your back one day and then not fine on your back another day. So it's very day to day and very specific to the woman at hand, but to make the answer shorter, (laughs) um, you should eliminate crunches because they serve no purpose while you're pregnant. There's no reason to strengthen your six pack abs while you're pregnant because they need to stretch. So teaching them to stay short with crunches is just gonna make it harder for you to regulate that pressure in between. Yeah, that makes sense. So what I heard you say, it's very individual and not only is what you can and can't do individual, it's day to day. Yes, 100%. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So kind of a gray area in other words. So there is no black and white, but if I was a pregnant woman with that, what I would take out of that is great. You know, now I can, I can probably do more than what I read on the internet says, you know, at a hundred days, you have to, you can do this at 200 days, you have to stop doing this. So I think, you know, getting with somebody like yourself who actually knows these things and has taken other women and who has gone through these things could be very beneficial. Now you, a couple of times you mentioned the pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens to the pelvic floor with pregnancy and then also with aging? So as you, you've now had, I don't know how far apart your kids are, but you've had three different kids now and you've aged as time. So what happens both to the pelvic floor with um, pregnancy and with aging? Is there different things you should do at different ages as far as fitness? So I don't think it's really anything to do with age as much as it is like successive um, pregnancies. So um, your pelvic floor takes on a huge role when you're pregnant. It's holding all of a sudden more weight. 
Um, your center of gravity changes, so it's dealing with that. You have postural changes, so it's dealing with that. And then your pelvic floor has to stretch like immensely um, and then come back together. So it does a lot more than we realize. It's not really something that we think about on a day-to-day basis, but it's basically the camp, like I like to describe it as a hammock within your pelvis that holds up a lot of your organs. Um, but it also assists you in getting baby out, um, unless you have a C-section and pelvic floor is just doing the work while you're pregnant. So that's another myth that like, if you have a C-section, then your pelvic floor is okay, but it still did a lot of work to hold that baby weight while you were growing. Um, so you still need to think about it in your recovery. Um, so that constant like pressure that you put on it while you're pregnant and then again, giving birth and then recovering and then doing it again is more so I think what you need to think about rather than like how old you are. Um, but age does play a role in how you recover, of course, because as you get older, it's harder and your regenerative cells like slow down and all that stuff. So that's something to consider for sure. Um, but basically you want to train your pelvic floor to come back to the state that it was in before you were pregnant. So training it while you're pregnant to both lengthen and contract is super important. And you do that with your breath. Um, It does it all by itself regularly, but training it under a load like in your squat or while you're running is super important so that it has that reflexive strength again. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, I feel like Courtney could expand on that a little bit too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, um, I was just going to add too that I think kind of another myth and some things that I hear, you know, patients saying too, especially if they're just on YouTube or hearing from other friends, is like the good old fashioned Kegel. It's like <laughs> it's, there's good and bad with it, and I think that a lot of women they know they know about it, they hear about it, and they just assume that that is like the the one and only thing to do to recover as far as like pelvic floor goes when half the time, when you really dive into it, um, half the time patients don't even really necessarily know like what the Kegel is doing, what the purpose of it is. Some of them don't know how to do it or if they if they are doing it correctly, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing it in the corrective exercise or the corrective posture for them, because some women could easily be able to do a Kegel in a squat or could be learn quick to do a Kegel while they're running while others might need a much longer time to be able to maybe just start in in hook lying on their back or maybe in sitting. Um, and then typically I think, um, we're kind of, there's a little bit of fault too, is a lot of times I think, you know, not kind of getting um, the appropriate feedback from people to of, of knowing how to do a Kegel. Most just kind of will will use like the more quick stretch response is kind of how we refer to it. So I kind of call it like bobbing for apples, like when you were a kid and you just kept going down and up and down and up really quickly. Um, and that really is not necessarily going to be beneficial in any way to actually strengthen the pelvic floor. So I think it's a big myth for people to just tell women you're fine if you just go do a kegel because it's it's such a gray area of, of do they know how to do it do they know what it is and what the purpose of it is can they do it in multiple positions um and so that can be from a provider standpoint can be kind of um frustrating because i think it's just in general um out there in the tabloids and online and all that stuff it's just kegel 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 mm-hmm. <laughs> and no one really knows the background behind it 
A hundred percent. And I think the disconnect there is that they're not taught to then lengthen. So Kegel is just only about contracting in terms of like how it's presented in, like you said, the mainstream. It's just like, oh, just tighten up, tighten up, tighten up. But that's kind of like doing a bicep curl only at the top half over and over and over. And if you don't fully release that muscle to then contract it again, it's never going to get stronger and it's never going to be functional. So you have to learn how to also lengthen it and relax it and release it, um, which, yes, good point. And I think a big cue people hear for Kegel is like stop the flow of urine um, or like hold your pee. And that really only contracts the front part of your pelvic floor and it leaves the whole rest of it out and it's a full circle. So like just only contracting, if you think about it like a clock, only contracting 12 o'clock, you're leaving behind a whole mess <laughs> that's not getting any work. So yeah, that biofeedback that you can get from like a pelvic floor physical therapist is huge and should be 100% part of your postpartum journey. Yeah. All right. So um since you've, since you brought it up kind of like, you know, with the cue of just stop your urine, I know both, um, during pregnancy as well as postpartum, many times there are some issues, bladder issues, um, and there can be, uh, problems with leaking. And I think I didn't know how quite how prevalent this was, but it's actually, you know, I heard a podcast a couple years ago and it was like a CrossFit podcast and there was two ladies and they were talking about, um, you know, peeing their pants a little bit when they do double unders and, it, and the, there was this big joke about kind of, um, Oh, that's just normal. And, and I think every, you know, physical therapist and carry trainer like you was just like, Oh my God, that's not normal. And we all kind of recoiled in horror. And I think there's a difference between what's common and what's normal. And I think, um, it's probably a very important message to get out there that, you know, these, what is common versus what is normal. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit. So what, what are some of the things either during pregnancy or, uh, post-pregnancy that can be changed and fixed that women don't have to just live with? I love that you said that it's common, but not normal because it is super common to leak a little bit, whether you've had a baby or not. Um, and that's a huge sign of just pelvic floor dysfunction in general. Um, and it's fixable in lots of ways. Um, I think the main thing that you need to work on is your breath and making sure that your diaphragm and your pelvic floor function together to, again, minimize that um, pressure dysregulation in your core. So if a lot of pressure is going down to your pelvic floor constantly, um, you're going to deal with some pelvic floor issues and it could be prolapse. It could be an overworked pelvic floor. Um, and leaking can be a sign of either a weak pelvic floor or an overactive pelvic floor. So if you're too, if you're holding your pelvic floor too tight all the time and it's not getting that chance to lengthen, it's kind of like just constantly holding that bicep curl again. And then like, it's going to fatigue in a way that's not, it's not functional. It's not getting stronger. So it's like fatigued in a way that like, I'm so tight right now. I can't tighten up anymore to hold this urine in for you. So I have to lengthen so that I can learn how to, you know, again, deal with this pressure. Um, so the number one thing that you need to work on is your breath and make sure that your breath is functional and it's regulated and that your diaphragm and your pelvic floor are working together. 
And then the other thing to focus on, like, especially specific to a double under is your posture while you're doing that double under, like, is your diaphragm stacked over your pelvis in a way that you can minimize that pressure? Or are you flaring your ribs and leaning back and like breaking that core canister? So there's a lot of things to focus on for sure. That's a super lengthy answer, especially depending on the person that you're talking to. But um, getting into a pelvic floor physical therapist to find out if you are in fact weak or overactive is definitely the number one place to start. Because if you're weak, then kegels will make sense for you. But if you're overactive, kegels are a no-no. Sure. Courtney Carey kind of set you up for this one. So since she mentioned the pelvic floor physical therapy, why don't you jump in and kind of just give us kind of your thoughts on that as well? Yeah, I, I definitely agree a lot with what, what Carrie was saying. And I um, love the fact too, that she mentioned, um, cause I hear this a lot from patients as well. Um, as far as pelvic floor therapy goes, you do not have to have a baby. That doesn't have to be the only reason to come to pelvic floor therapy. So even just normal like just regular leakage doesn't necessarily mean again that that's normal. It can be common. It doesn't mean that it's normal at all. Um, and so you can certainly come to pelvic floor therapy, whether you've had a child or not, um, any age, shape or form, um, you should not have to deal with constant leakage, especially if you're experiencing it, um, during a workout. And it is very frustrating from a provider standpoint to hear when people say that it is normal or it's just like, oh yeah, girl, just, you know, just wear a pad and it's fine. Like that's, you know, and it's like, we need to, we need to really get away from like diminishing this and, and making women feel like instead of actually seeking out, um, extra help, seeking out a physical therapist or someone like Carrie, um, who can, you can learn how to tighten up the core and either relax those muscles or strengthen and lengthen those muscles. Instead, we're just throwing, you know, it's kind of like in the medical profession, just throwing pills at a patient <laughs> or surgery when there's other options. It's like, no, you shouldn't have to just wear a pad or just double your underwear or just, you know, not do double unders and take them out of your workout. There are other options out there um, that are known to work. And unfortunately, there's just, I feel in general in this field, it's just not only just a, a lack of education um, that's, that's present to the public, but it's also just comes from, from this pe people who just assume that the there's a normalcy because that's what it is in our culture. It's just all these things are just supposed to be normal for women. And so this is how we grow up and this is in tune. Um, you know, we keep replaying this in our heads and until we actually believe it that, oh, what I'm going through, every other woman is going through and it's fine. And we just have to deal with it for the rest of our lives. And that is not true in any way, shape or form. So Courtney, let me, let me push back a little bit because in my head, I can already, I can already kind of see some questions about, about some of what you just said. So question number one is any amount of leaking normal. And then question number two is if, if that is normal, when do they know when to take action or, or like at what point is it appropriate to start trying to work on this? Of course. Yeah. I think this is kind of where it gets into the gray area. I think it depends because you have to kind of figure out who the person is, what's, what's going on, what are there are other symptoms, um, underlying it and what kind of leakage that there is. Cause there are, is a different 
a couple different types of leakage and to know kind of when it's happening and kind of what's going on with that. But the biggest thing um, I would say too, is that if, if it's a starting to affect your daily life in any way, like if you're having to, for example, when you're working out, if you're modifying your workouts or you're completely getting rid of an exercise because of it, or even just the sheer fact that you're embarrassed, like you have to put extra pads in your purse or wear two pairs of underwear or something like that. That's it. That's a definite problem. And I would say that that is, is not normal in any way that that should not be normal. I know some women kind of probably get in the habit of, of telling themselves that it is, but if it's, if it's affecting your daily life to that, that point, that magnitude, um, there's something going on that, that needs to be, to be looked at. Um, but in terms of leakage wise and the pelvic floor, you really shouldn't have much leakage when you're, when you're, when you're doing workouts or laughing or anything like that. And so if you, if you recognize that, and if it's something that's happened, happening consistently as well, um, then again, it's something that's, that's definitely going to need to be checked out just to figure out as well. Again, since there's different types, kind of what kind of, of, of leakage is going on, when are you having it, what activities are causing it? Um, and if it's progressively getting worse over time as well. Now, now you said there shouldn't be much. Is is there a clinical, because to me much, you know, it, it says a little, but it doesn't really say how much. It, what is not much? So I would say there, you shouldn't have leakage. Okay. <laughs> if, if, you're, if your pelvic floor is, is intact, and like Carrie said, as far as diaphragmatic breathing goes, you shouldn't be just leaking at random times throughout the day. Gotcha. Um, granted that's, I understand that that's different as far as after pregnancy goes, but again, that's, that's not necessarily that's common, but it's not necessarily normal. And it's something that you should go in and you should get checked, checked out to figure out again, is it because of tightness? Is it because of weakness and, and so on and so forth? So, so Carrie, is some of this preventable? Like, let's say somebody started working with you on, on some of these things before with the fitness before this ever became a problem. Is some of this preventable? Like to, so that we could almost eliminate that problem? Uh, it's definitely preventable. Um, it's also like, it doesn't, like we talked about, it doesn't have to be just because you're pregnant. It could be a postural thing that right. like yeah. over time you've affected your posture in a way that your diaphragm and your pelvic region aren't working together anymore. So it's going to take a little bit more work to get back to that baseline level. Um, but it's definitely preventable. Um, if you have that connection to your pelvic floor where you can feel it relax and you can feel it contract, then you'll know like, oh, I'm about to sneeze. Let me contract my pelvic floor so I can control that pressure so I don't leak while I sneeze or I'm about to cough or laugh or whatever it is, you want that to be reflexive. So you want your pelvic floor to automatically turn on. But if you can start with making that connection, then you can train that reflexivity for sure. Um, that reflexive part of the muscle. I think I just made up a word there. Uh, <laughs> Sounded good. <laughs> it works. Um, and then it's also never too late to start healing. So like sometimes... I hear like, oh, I had a baby 10 years ago and I still leak. So it's just part of my life. And like, it doesn't have to be. You sure. can start working on it at any point. It's never too early and it's never too late to start retraining that muscle the same way. Like 
all of a sudden you decide I want to be fit, you start working on it. It's like, I want to stop leaking. You stop, you start working on it. It's never too late. Okay. Now earlier you had mentioned the canister and the canister was for me, um, was one of the things that I thought was the most interesting and visually kind of just put every picture, like put everything together for me. So let's talk about that. Cause I think if people can kind of get the idea of what the canister is, which muscles are working there, how everything works together, kind of paints a picture of how they can improve these things. So can you describe the canister, which muscles are involved, how they all work together just a little bit? Sure. That's my favorite part of what I do. Um, so the canister is your torso basically. So like from your rib cage to your hip bones is a good visual point for you to think about. And the muscles within your rib cage are your diaphragm. Um, I think it's a common misconception that your diaphragm is actually a muscle um, and it's your breathing muscle. So training that um, is super important. And it's also the same shape as your pelvic floor. So they work together and they should stay stacked pretty much over one another. So that's the top of your canister is your diaphragm and the bottom of your canister is the pelvic floor. And then within that canister, you have all of your abdominal muscles and then the muscles of your back that keep your spine upright, stuff like that. So you have your six pack abs, which are your most superficial layer of muscles, your rectus abdominis, and then your deepest set of muscles, your transverse abdominis, which wrap around that canister pretty much in a 360 degree way. And then within there, you have your external obliques, your internal obliques, your paraspinals, the multifidus muscles, um, without getting nitty gritty with it, all of your core muscles are part of that canister. So the way that the pressure regulation works is when you take an inhale, your diaphragm travels down as your pelvic floor relaxes and expands. And then when you exhale, your pelvic floor contracts and your diaphragm travels back up to where it should go. And then the middle of the canister, your transverse abdominis will also expand with your inhale and then come in with you when you exhale. So if you can picture that, it's kind of like a jellyfish moving. So the jellyfish travels down as you inhale and then comes back up as you exhale. Or you can think of a balloon blowing up in a 360 degree manner as you inhale. And then as you exhale, it comes back down to a smaller size, which is kind of like reverse of what you think because when you blow up a balloon, you're exhaling. So it's a little bit of backwards way to visualize it, but I think it helps because you can say like, all right, that balloon in your belly needs to expand all the way around and all the way down when you inhale and then needs to come back in and up when you exhale. So one of my favorite breath, breath cues is inhale down and out, exhale up and in. That was a great job explaining that. Obviously you've done that a lot before. That was, that was fantastic. All right. So there's obviously a ton more we can learn. And so we had to break this episode up into two episodes. So stay tuned for part two with Cariotti and Dr. Courtney Giesman, where we will talk about much more and you will learn just as much, I promise. Part two is just as fantastic. All right, we will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Fit and Healthy Denver podcast, brought to you by Kinetic Chain Denver Physical Therapy. If you know anybody that you think would benefit from listening to this podcast, please share it with them. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you can enjoy all the great information we're bringing you in the next episode.